the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 424 for Sunday, November 11th, 2012. Dave Hamilton and John Ethron. They are the geeks that turn us on. Talking Mac and iOS. And Pilot Pete might be the guest. Often speak in terminal. They make it cool if you don't know. Just stick around, you'll understand. Just how to enter those commands. Dave Hamilton and John F. folks and welcome to the mac observers mac geek cab the show where you send in your questions you send in your tips you send in cool stuff found we provide some answers we share all of the rest and together we all try to learn a lot each and every time we get together every week here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton and here just amazed at what i just heard in fairfield connecticut John F. Braun. And you know, Dave, that tempts me, you, you know, as you probably, I think I mentioned, but I, I'm a sax player or I yeah. used to be a sax player and I still have a sax and every now and then I'll, I'll break it out and it still works. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I still have, uh, apparently that they, they've made advances in read technology though they're not bamboo anymore, or at least they don't have to be. But, uh, and I think you sent me the music, Dave. So I, uh, maybe yeah, it's, I'll, uh, it's, a, it's a riff on the major six chord if I'm thinking right well, well i can't five, do chords six. it's a well, no no no. but Come i mean it, it's the yeah the structure of it is just that one yeah yeah, yeah. and then it, and then of course it's just a one four five progression but that was kurt lee had sent that in this week uh outstanding it's out i was awesome awesome stuff man gosh that's awesome i love that kind of stuff for obvious reasons but i mean i love it you know for what it is too it's uh really appreciate when you folks get involved and of course that's really what the show is is everybody getting involved so we have uh, we have a lot of stuff to go through, as always, the mailbag uh, overflowing, as always. And uh, but then, you know, it's getting into what I will call uh, Christmas season. But really, by that, I mean, you know, uh, very non-denominational, uh, the season Ho- where holidays. Yeah, the season where we we all, at least in, in America and, and perhaps elsewhere in the world, we, we all spend uh, a little bit more money than we normally would and, and buy gifts for each other and stimulate the economy in our own way. So that's uh, that's what's coming up. And so we've got some gift suggestions uh, for all of you, and we will uh, we'll talk about some of those this week and some next week and some the following week. And then I think we're off for a week and then we'll talk about more and we'll keep doing this probably right up until about the middle of December when that whole thing started starts to wind down. But let's start with Larry, shall we, John? Indeed. All right. Larry writes, I've been using the command from within Word for Mac 2011 file share email as attachment until about three weeks ago. When clicking on that command would bring the mail app window to the front and then nothing would happen. When mousing over the word doc I wanted to attach, I'd see the spinning beach ball for 30 seconds or so. Then the beach ball would stop spinning and nothing else would happen. I've reverted to saving the file and then attaching it by using a paperclip icon in mail and navigating through the finder. Not the easiest, but certainly doable. I then created a test user account to see if the problem was system wide and it is not excellent troubleshooting, Larry. So I know now that I have an issue with my primary user account. What would you recommend to troubleshoot further and fix? 
And please don't say use pages. Although I'm seriously considering it. Actually, Larry, I don't think pages would have helped because as Larry already knows, the problem is solved because Larry solved it. He says, good news. I realized that I hadn't done a repair permissions on this drive in a long time. So I did that and it solved the problem. And uh, and that is the the solution to remember for this type of thing, because even though you're emailing a file and you're saying right from in word, send it to mail, it actually has to save it on disk somewhere. And then uh, it goes into mail. And if the permissions on that somewhere folder are munged up, then you're not going to be able to save the file there. And mail and word can't communicate by way of this. So uh, so that's that's what you need to do. And that's the solution most of the time for this. So thank you, Larry, for the question and for the answer. We like that. That's good. But it's a good tip. Nonetheless, what the what concerns me, what I'm scratching my head over, David, I had not looked into this and maybe, you know, or, or someone knows. But to me, it sounds like what this was doing was now. I don't know if this was a necessarily a word specific function. Yeah. If, no. if you get where I'm going here, uh, if it was a problem with word or if it was a problem with the part of the OS that lets other applications ask it to do nice things like this. You see you where may, I'm going yeah, with this? You may be right. I mean, certainly you can do it from the file print dialogue. You can say mail as PDF. Right. Um, that's right. And that would be the system wide way. You might be right. This might have been a word specific issue. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I'm thinking that it was not. In that they were oh. calling a facility that is advertised. So mail yep. may allow, and it may be a little of both. So maybe Microsoft put together a little piece of code that is smart enough to say, hey, mail, by the way, here, here's this document. You, you want to help me out here? Right. And for whatever reason, so I suspect, but but he solved the problem, but I suspect it, whether it was a word, a, a part of Word or a part of Mac OS that was not set up right, whatever he did fixed it, but but... If anybody yeah. knows, I'd be very interested because I see things in the share menu that look like they may be OS level things versus word specific things because it's a it, it's a common function. I you think you're probably I totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're probably right that, that, you know, baked into word is some access to this common function. So, yeah, a little bit of both, I think, is, is a is a good way of saying it. I saw the same right. problem. Actually, Jeff Quistad over at Backbeat Media had the same issue with FileMaker. And uh, and and, you know, we have a little script where he can send out orders d- directly as a PDF from it and it wouldn't work. It was the same exact symptoms. You know, you would hit the, the thing, it would run the script and it and nothing would happen except it would spin like a beach ball for a while. But if he went to file and print and did it save, it would work, you know, save his PDF and then attach it that way. It would work just fine. So. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're, you're probably right. It's probably a little bit of both. Probably a little bit of both. All right, cool. You know, in. uh in the last show where we didn't talk about anything old, it was only new stuff. Uh, we had uh, someone asking about correcting an autocorrect entry on iOS. And um, Bob, Bob Levitas uh, heard that. And actually, you know, our solution for that, John, was you got to wipe out the whole autocorrect library. And Bob figured out a hack, which I really, really liked. So here we go. This is for the guy uh, who wanted to correct an autocorrect entry. I have a thought that will probably work. Go into settings, general keyboard shortcuts, and create a shortcut that replaces the bad signature 
with the good signature. That way, when it corrects it and types that, when you put the space after, it'll change it back to the good signature. Um, I'm pretty sure it'll work if you type everything correctly. That's all for now. This is Bob in Austin, Texas. Take care. Thanks, Bob. Uh, yeah, I think that would work. That is a good workaround for that on iOS. <laughs> if, if Well, what, it, it's also helpful to use that workaround if there's something you type regularly that the system wants to autocorrect to, you know, a, a word for whatever reason. Uh, you can go put both entries in. You, you can put the same thing into to the uh, to the, the shortcut and then it won't autocorrect because it it sees, oh, you typed this. You meant to type this. And it even though the same thing, the system says, yep, that's OK. That's cool. So tis good. Tis good. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Bob. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. Yeah. And remember, folks, he's not a real doctor, though. He probably should be. <laughs> I'm right? not sure what that means. But yes, <laughs> I'm that's not right. either. <laughs> <laughs> but he knows. And that's the most important. part. Yes, you want to tell us uh, about Randall, John? I'm going to tell you about Randall. So Randall writes, my iMac, paren, lion, close paren, won't keep removed login items deleted. Why? I went to system preferences, users and groups, login items as the admin and only account on the Mac and deleted a number of applications and items using the minus sign. They all went away. Upon reboot, however, they all came back. I've done it several times with the same results. I also used clean genius to do the same thing with the same lack of results. None of the helps or my manual have any note on how to deal with this problem. I'm left with only one alternative, remove the programs. However, I still want to use a couple of them. I just don't want them coming up at login. Well, my, my response to this, it sounds to me like what the problem is. So I responded to Randall like this. And I said, Randall, it sounds like one of the plist files that stores the login items is damaged or corrupt as evidenced by your being able to change the values. And it seems to accept them, but they never take hold in the file system. Because I suspect what's happening is they are not being written or written correctly to the plist file. Now, in this case, rather than using the most recent preferences modified trick, I was pretty sure I knew which file was involved here, Dave. And uh, I think the, the file or files, because it's stored like many things in the Mac, they're stored in multiple locations. So this yeah. is a preference file where preferences stored. For the most part, they're stored as plist files in a preferences directory. And this could either be a uh, tilde library preferences or to translate that into English, it's your home directory, which you're going to see in, in your left sidebar. You will see uh, a little house. That's your home directory. And then within that, well, you won't see library normally with the latest versions of Mac OS. But if you hold down option, I believe, and you go to the, uh, which is it here, go menu, then you will see library. And then you can dig a little deeper and there'll be a preferences folder. And there's also one at the top level library preferences directory. And I suspect the file or files you want to look for, because there's a few of them, would be the com.apple.loginitems.whatever. Um, and I've seen plist and I've also seen lock files have come up as of late. Yep. So in my opinion, what, what, what's wrong here is that that plist file is not, is doing something wrong or it's preventing something from happening. So my suggestion would be make note of all the programs. And if you do, if you go to your, uh, uh I believe it's accounts, uh, and you eventually you get into a, a login items, 
area, you're going to see a list of programs. And let me make sure here. So yeah, system, that's right. Yes. So, system groups. Good. Go, yeah, you got it. Go ahead. Okay. And within there, you will see all the programs that are being launched as login items. What I would do is make a note of those or make a backup of the file because you want them later. And then uh, the, the reason I say this is because I, I in my opinion, the, the, the one way to try to solve this problem is to whack all of those com.apple.login items dot whatever files in both locations. Then add them all back and uh, see if things improve. And we haven't heard back yet, but that that's the way I would solve this problem. And that's why I think this is happening. It's a damaged plist file. Yeah, it, yeah, or a, a bad permission on a plist file. Um, Correct. Yes. A, a couple of things to add. You said to save the 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 contents of that that login item screen so that you can refer back to it later if if you have to wipe it out and put things back in. Uh, for stuff like that, man, I always I am a screenshot fool on my Mac. Yep. I would I would do a Command Shift four and then uh, hit the space bar to turn it into the save the whole window thing and then just click on that window and to your desktop folder, it will save screenshot with a timestamp and you can go back to that and see it and bring it up. And, and uh, so that, that's how I would, that's how I would deal with that part of it. Um, and I, I will take this opportunity, John, to say hello to everyone that has joined us in the chat room for this show here. Um, hello to everybody in the chat room. That's at MacGeekGab.com slash stream and uh, Patronus in the chat room has suggested a couple of things to fix this. Number one is uh, he's I, I'm assuming it's a he, but it may very well be a she, but Patrona says a safe boot uh, fixes that. And uh, so you go in, you do a, you reboot the machine, hold down the shift key uh, right at reboot. And that will put the Mac into safe mode. So going into safe mode and then coming back out and re- rebooting regularly uh, can fix that. And uh, and then he also says Yasu, which is yet another system utility may uh, may fix that as well. So two things to two things to talk about there. It's good stuff. Right. No, (laughs) whatever. Whatever solves the problem. Well, that's that's really what it's all about. That's right. Yeah. 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 So thanks, Patronus. And thanks, everybody in the uh, in the chat room there. Yeah. Yasu. That's uh, that's another good one from Jim Mitchell. Yeah, I haven't really looked at that one. Uh, I'm an Onyx type of guy. That that. Or, yeah. Oh, you know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around. The one the one thing that kind of brought Jasu to our attention what was it a month or two ago was that it was the first utility that we had found that would allow you not only to repair system wide permissions but also the permissions of your user folder, which otherwise you had to do this weird reboot and go to the terminal thing to do. Uh, so that. Um, Yasu will do it, but, uh, as, uh, and I'm looking here because I want to make sure I get, uh, who it was that said it, uh, but I'm not going to get it. Am I, but Onyx now, uh, does that too. Uh, the new version of Onyx will allow you to repair user permissions. And by golly, I am determined to figure out who it was that told us about that, but I'm, I may, I may fail in this mission. There it is. It's, it was, it was Jeff, uh, who said that, uh, Onyx now repairs user permissions. I'm trying to see if he said anything more specific than that. And no, that's what he said was Onyx repairs user permissions. So thank you, Jeff, for, for that. So yeah, you, you, you're good with, with, with Onyx, John, or, uh, or with Yasu. So good, good stuff. All right. Uh, while we're, uh, well, we're back in, in follow-up mode. We talked about clamshell mode, John, in, uh, 
in Mac Geek Gab 323. And Zach wrote in and pointed out something very interesting about clamshell mode. We, we had recommended that you, as always, not run your Mac attached to battery power all the time because that's not a great thing for your Mac's battery all the time. It's good to keep the electrons flowing in one direction or another. But Zach says, as a Mac consultant, I often get calls or uh, from clients or friends or family running in clamshell mode saying the screen went dark. It is almost always that the MagSafe adapter has been brushed off its target or the AC is unplugged. Uh, he says it is mandatory for clamshell mode in his experience to have AC power plugged in. So, uh, so I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't, I, I have run in clamshell mode so infrequently that I cannot really speak to, uh, to this, but, but I'll take Zach and his word. So if you're having problems with clamshell mode, uh, it may be that you have to stay plugged in, which of course is not all that great for your battery. So, Bear that in mind. Interesting, right, John? You know, I seem to recall something. It may have been an article about that that basically said in a lot of situations you do not or the machine will act in unexpected ways if you are not running on both battery and AC power. I remember this. I, I think huh. it was uh, some articles that had to do with the performance of the machine. I think that the machine may go into a lower performance mode if it's not running off of AC versus battery power. Let's see if I can find it. Okay. But I definitely remember something related to this. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious if there's anything about clamshell mode and battery power. I was sort of hoping that, uh, that, that you would have found some knowledge, ba- knowledge base article that said, uh, that, you know, explained all of this, but perhaps not. All right. Um, while on the subject of our last show and also clamshell mode, Rob, let's see. Uh, Rob says, Rob asked uh, just a quick question, which was inspired by the clamshell mode discussion. I also use my retina 15 inch with a Thunderbolt display while doing so. I have it connected to the MagSafe from the Thunderbolt to keep the battery charged slash topped off while in my home office. As I'm sure you are probably aware, one of the key differences between the 13-inch and 15-inch Retina units is that only the 15-inch features discrete graphics, meaning it's the, it, it has its own separate graphics chip. So my question is, do you know of a way, only while in clamshell mode, of course, to force the use of the discrete adapter, or does it do this anyway to drive the Thunderbolt? Logic being that while on AC, why not leverage the full power of the GPU? And yeah, it, um, my belief, Rob, is that it is doing this automatically, uh, but there's a couple of ways that you can check it. The energy saver on those machines should actually have a little, um, uh, checkbox or a, a radio button rather at the, at the top that says for graphics, higher battery life or better performance. And you can toggle back and forth between the two. So that should let you choose the, uh, the other thing to look at is a an app that we've referred to most likely in the past uh, called GFX Card Status at GFX.io that will let you not only see what it is, but but also change it. So uh, between one of those two things, you hopefully should see what you got going on. Good stuff. You got you, did you find uh, did you find some knowledge base article while we were going through Rob's thing there, John? Yeah. Oh, good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So was Zach right? Do we need the battery for, uh, do we need the AC adapter for clamshell mode? No. 
Really? Yeah, it was a different article and okay. it's titled MacBook and MacBook Pro Mac reduces processor speed when battery is removed while operating from an AC adapter. Oh, I see. Okay. Huh. So that's not about clamshell mode specifically. No. Though. Okay. No, but it is commenting on, yeah, but w- what the machine does when you have a combination right. of power sources or not. Right. And I think when we found this, it surprised us. I'm like, well, why are you doing that? Well, I don't know. Yeah. All right. I think it's time to, uh, oh, let's go to Felix. Because Felix has a, uh, Mm. well, he's got a question. He says, my father recently realized that some of his contacts were missing. He has his contacts in contacts app in Mountain Lion, and they sync to his iDevices via iCloud. We tried to recover them through Time Machine, but without success. I then thought we should try iCloud to see if we can restore to a point in time like you can in Gmail contacts or a la Time Machine. But it seems that iCloud does not offer this feature at all, which is something I would like other listeners to know about. How long does iCloud keep backups of contacts as it is synchronizing deletions? It's worth knowing this. Delving deeper into the time machine problem after having done that restore, the contacts were completely empty apart from the iCloud contacts. Also in iCloud contacts, we were not able to click on the all iCloud group, only the custom address books group that we created. My dad has just below 2000 contacts, and I'm wondering if they need to be cleaned. There are lots of duplicate addresses within each contact, things that mysteriously multiply with each sync, stuff like that. Do you have any suggestions? All right. So a couple of things here. Uh, first, you're right. iCloud does not store or let you uh, let you access. It may store, but it does not let you access backups of contacts in any way that I've ever found. Uh, once it's deleted from iCloud store uh, or deleted from your Mac and then synced to iCloud, it, I believe, is unrecoverable, certainly from the cloud. Um, the general concept uh, concept is that you would have a backup on your Mac, but that clearly doesn't hold water for folks who only use iCloud's contacts on their iDevices and may not even own a Mac, which is not quite your situation. But like you said, worth noting so that people know, yeah, once you delete it, it's gone. There's no undo that we've found, or at least not that I've found. John, have you uh, have you found one before we move on to other stuff here with Felix? Maybe, but I'll get to it in a moment. All right. So, so you want me to keep going here? Go. Okay. Uh, OS 10's address book, which, sorry, is now contacts. Uh, I'm I'm still in lion mode sometimes. Uh, doesn't offer much, but uh, as far as the duplicates go, you can go to the card menu in contacts and choose look for duplicates. That might be a place to start. Third party software uh, includes contacts cleaner, which is from spanning sync. And uh, while I I can't remember, honestly, if I've ever used it, but I know tons of uh, our listeners have recommended contacts cleaner as a uh, as a solution there. So that uh, that may help. And uh, the, the, the fact that you're getting stuff duplicated on every sync makes me think that somewhere, be it locally on your Mac or somewhere in iCloud, you've got low level corruption of your contacts database because that, that's not normal behavior. I have quite a few contacts out there and, uh, and as do many folks and, and it's just not a commonly reported thing. So I think you might have some specific issues with that. Um, file in contacts, go to the file menu, choose export and export a contacts archive. That is essentially a backup of everything that's in there. Then you clean everything out um, and and uh, and then file import that back in as far as cleaning it all out. There's a couple of ways to do this, but uh, but 
I think honestly, I mean, you could select all and delete right from there, but you could also, um, maybe that is the best way. What would, what would be the best way to delete stuff from contacts, John? We could go to home library, uh, right? I mean, you know, start digging around in there, but that uh, I get, you know, I get what are you thinking, man. Yeah, that's bad. Right. So I wouldn't touch that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this, John? Well, I, I did a little uh, quick research here. And so one thing that I would I would uh, encourage Felix to maybe try again. So let me look through here because he was talking about time machine. Now, the only thing I'm going to say, so, so basically what I did is I went on my mountain lion machine and I fired up contacts. Is that what they call it this week? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. This year. Okay. <laughs> this, it's, it's not, the, it's not this week. It's just this year. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to be funny. I uh, know. And failing miserably. So if you start up contacts, what you're going to notice is that you can activate time machine. Here's the only thing I would say is that I noticed this, at least on my system, Dave, is that if you do this initially, it would appear that there are no backups available. And this definitely happened when I just tried this on my MacBook. So I fired a context, hit time machine. It went into time machine, but initially it only showed today as the checkpoint in time. And I'm like, well, what a piece of junk, man. It didn't back it up. The other thing to note here is that Contacts is one of several Apple apps that underst- that offers you a custom interface into Time Machine. Right. That's which is good, good to know. Yeah. And I think there are like four of them. And I don't know if we ever, we've ever summarized them, Dave. I mean, so Contacts, obviously, since we're talking about it now, is certainly one of them where if you launch Time Machine and you're running Contacts, you're not going to get a generic Time Machine screen. It's going to be tuned to that app. And I think the other app that does that... Uh, most notably is mail. Yeah. Contacts mail. I believe calendar does it. Right. I think there's like, yeah. So I think there's like and four I, and, apps and obviously finder does it, but that's, you know, sure. Sort of the generic way of doing it. Yeah. So I'm wondering if, if uh, Felix didn't give it enough time. Cause right. looking at mine right now, my backup. So initially it may look like that it doesn't see back in time. But it really did. Like in my case, I'm looking back and it has back to July 2012, which I believe is when I initialized this drive and transfer data over from another drive. So that kind of makes sense. Now, you bring up so, a really good point. You glossed over it. So I'm going to reiterate it un- here. Ungloss me, brother. Yeah, because in and this happens anywhere, not just contacts. I see it in the finder all the time. I bring up Time Machine. And the first thing that I see now, Time Machine for me is is a backup store to a NAS drive or a time capsule. So it takes the system a little bit of time in the background to parse through this and and see what what backups you actually have. And while it's doing that, it gives you no indication that that's happening. So as John said, when you pull up Time Machine initially, all it shows you is today and it makes it appear like you have no backups. But if you just wait and, and you have no progress bar, there's no indication that you should be doing this. But if you just wait it will eventually show you all of uh, what's what's in there in your backups. So yeah, a little bit of patience um, with, with time machine when you're trying to restore is, is, is your saving grace there. Yeah. Cause otherwise you start scratching your head and it's like, Oh no, we're doomed. So <laughs> it's good. It's good. All right. Yeah. Um, 
who or what or what is next? Uh, you know, I want to talk about uh, Gazelle, which is our, our first sponsor for this show. Go. G- Gazelle, you've heard us talk about this lately. They've been on, on a little bit of heavy rotation because uh, it is tis the season for getting new devices, which means you're going to have old devices, Macs, iPhones, iPads, iPods that you're not going to necessarily know what to do with. And if you don't have a family member or a friend or something that you're going to hand it down to or sell it to directly, uh, you can go to gazelle.com and they will buy the device from you. In fact, I just did this the other day because we, you know, just went through our whole iPhone upgrade thing and we have a couple of extra iPhones and uh, an extra iPod touch. And, uh, and so I figured I went online and they gave us good prices for, for each of these things. And that's what you do. You just go to Gazelle and you tell it what you have and they'll tell you what they'll pay you for it. And then they'll send you a box. And I, I know this because I have the box. It's sitting in my house. I have uh, 30 days to put everything in the box, send it back to Gazelle. They'll go through it, make sure that I put stuff in the box that I said I would and that it's, you know, in the same condition I said it was in. And then they'll PayPal me the money or send me a check. Or if I'm willing to take it as an Amazon gift card, they'll give me, I think, an extra 5% on that. So, uh, so check it out. It's uh, gazelle.com and it's a great way to, uh, to turn your unused gadgets into cash. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, you know, while we're on the subject of, of gadgets, um, I will start with my first, uh, albeit a big, this certainly isn't in the stocking stuffer category, but uh, well, although it would fit in a stocking, it might be a little, a uh, little bit of on the, on the expensive side for something that would be a stocking stuffer. And that is the new iPod touch. Um, this thing is awesome. The fifth generation iPod touch. We've had one here for a little while at the house to, uh, to play with. And my son commandeered it. He's 10. And it really is. He was saying to me today, he said, you know, dad, uh, this is the best handheld gaming device that I have. And he's tried all of them. And he was a huge Nintendo DS, uh, uh, user, right. And, and love the DS, but, uh, and I said to him, okay, so, you know, a year ago, maybe even a year and a half, even with the, the, the fourth generation touch, which he did have, I said, you know, you, you gravitated toward your DS quite a bit. I said, what's the difference here? He said, well, first of all, the screen is way better. He said, it's bigger. It's better. Uh, he says the battery life is better on the touch than it, than it was on, on the DS, which was, like I said, his previous favorite. And he said, the other thing is he can afford the games for it. You know, the DS games are like 40 or 50 bucks a piece, sometimes 30, maybe so probably realistically 30 to 40 bucks a piece. Whereas iOS games are anywhere from probably a dollar up to what, maybe 10 bucks for a, you know, a more in-depth title. And, uh, and he says that way he's got it with him everywhere and, and, uh, and he loves it. So really the, uh, for handheld gaming and for really for a lot of different things, the, uh, the iPod touches my First contribution to our, our gift guide here. It's, uh, it's man that the, it is so light now and, uh, and super thin, but the, the way the back is, it, it just feels nice in the hand and they did a nice job with this, this revision of it. I like it as you can probably tell is good. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to, to throw into the gift guide while I, while I commandeered us here? Or should I, should we go back to Jared and, and, and soldier forth? Oh, not at this point. All right, cool. I've got a couple we'll throw in during the show here, but uh, Jared writes, 
Jared has a, a he, this, this was one of my favorite ones to answer. Jared writes, I'm stoked to be the proud owner of a new 13 inch retina MacBook pro. I'm using the external super drive and looking for an easy way to eject a disc since the optical drive list max uh, don't have an eject key on the keyboard. Sure. I can open a finder window and eject it from there, but I'm looking for a key combination. Any thoughts? So uh, yeah, in the finder command E will uh, shortcut you to eject. So, I mean, that's better than having to navigate with the mouse potentially, but probably not what you were looking for. Uh, I dug around for on this one, John, and I couldn't find any pre-built app that would just do this, but I did find the terminal command that I think will eject even the external drive, but it certainly would eject internal drives on Macs. but I think it will also eject this external drive. And that is DR util uh, is the, is the command you're going to run from the terminal DR util space tray space eject. And that will cause a, an eject. Actually, it will cause a tray to go through the eject process, whether or not there is a disc in there. So good way to kind of, if you're, if your tray is, if you're, if you've got a slot loader and it's stuck, that, that is another way to kind of force it to do anything. Um, assuming that works on the 13 inch MacBook pro. And I don't think we've heard back from Jared on this yet, but, but if it does, then now that you know, the terminal command, you can, if you know the terminal command for something, you can use automator to make yourself an application that will run that terminal command every time the app is run. And it's really, really simple. You just create a new automator workflow and use the run shell script action uh, and then type that same command in. So in this case, DR util space tray space eject. Then you save that. And when you're saving it, you use, there's an option for file format and you can save it as an automator, uh, an automator document or something. But option number two is saving it as an application that doesn't require automator to be running and you save it as an app. And then anytime you run that app, it ejects your DVD drive. Now, how to take that and automate it or make it even easier. Well, number one is you can put an app in your dock. So you can just click your dock and boom, you can cause that terminal command to be run. And, and hopefully the, the disc will eject. Number two, if you don't want to have to click in the dock, you could then use something like keyboard maestro to uh, assign a keystroke to launch an application that then ejects the disc. So it sounds more convoluted than it is. It's, you know, you kind of got to go through each little step. I, I think of this like calculus, right? We have a, a big problem and we break it down into its little steps and then suddenly it's not that big anymore. So that's wow, my. Wow, look at the big brain on Dave there. <laughs> you like that, huh? Calculus. Yeah. yeah it's been a while well, since I did integrals. And well, you know, that, people. Which is essentially breaking down a big problem into littler problems. That's and it. Then I, it's manageable. I tell or people. At least that's my take on calculus and I, integration and uh, I guess derivatives in a sense. But yeah. Right. Very well right. done, my friend. But people, people, you know, I, I hear people, kids, especially in school, complain, oh, when am I ever going to use calculus again? And my pat response to that now is. I use calculus. I use what I learned in calculus every single day. And it's that, you know, take a big problem. All right. I don't know how to solve this. Well, okay. Can I solve, you know, a smaller version of that? Yes. Okay. Now how do I get there? And you just piece it together so that we just pieced it together. That's what we do. So hopefully that what works. We did. And you know, I, I remember this a little tangent, but I remember this in, in, uh, when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. So I, along with, uh, a few others were in the advanced geek, sure. you know, uh, you know, people that got beat up every day, a uh, uh, group. Yeah, that doesn't you know, happen the math, anymore. The math think. nerds. The math nerds. Sure. Yeah, yeah. 
No, we didn't get beat up every day. No, I know. But, I was uh, in but the you, same you still had your divisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you had the people that just leaned towards science and math. And so I was in, a, I think it was a, we actually were taking UConn courses. Yep. And, and one of the things they did in, in, the, in one of the first calculus courses, first we had functions, then calculus, is we actually, and this is the thing that, that just blew it open for me. They're like, all right, how do you figure the area under a curve? Which initially may not sound like something that everybody needs to do every day, but it actually lends itself quite easily to the concept you're saying of breaking up a big problem into little problems. Right. Actually, what we did at one point, I remember this, Dave. At first we thought, what is the teacher nuts? But we took construction paper and plotted curves and then took construction paper under the curve and then cut it out and proved to ourselves that calculus worked. That's it's like, huge. Well, maybe, it's like maybe you don't believe that these magic formulas can actually tell you the area under a curve, but once you cut the stuff out and did it with construction paper and actually put it back together, you're like, oh my gosh, this actually works. That's pretty and cool. Just, That's a good to me. It's just one learning. of the most fascinating things in their teaching method, which worked great for me, is that let's not just teach you the theory. Let's let's ground let's grounded in something that you can actually see and prove to yourself. And once I saw, oh my gosh, I believe calculus is true. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah, <laughs> it's, now it's, it's so cool. That's right. It's not just calculus. There was it's, no arguing. It, it's, it's like, physics, all right, the formula right. says this and let's let you measure the result and see if you come up with the same number. And yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, I did. Yeah. It was so much fun. That's cool. That's cool. All right. So let's hope that, of course, my, my, my calculus laden answer here is predicated <laughs> on the fact that this DR util tray eject will work on the external drive connected to the 13 inch retina MacBook pro, which I couldn't test. So I'm hoping that that works, but with at least even if it doesn't for the, the listening audience kind of at large here, that's the process is, you know, if you know a terminal command to solve what you want, you can then take that. And run it through, you know, like I said, Automator and then either as an application or with Keyboard Maestro, uh, you, you know, you can you can launch that action, even though it, you know, what, what you're doing with Automator is building a very single purpose app. Uh, but that's what that's part of what it's there for. So use it. It's good stuff. You right. can do it with Apple Script too. It's it's actually fairly trivial to run a terminal command there, too. It's like I think the action is do shell script quote and then you just do it. I yep. think I'm going to take think. one one quick detour here, but to explain to those who may have not heard this before. So number one, you may be saying, what is this terminal thing that Dave and John are speaking of? And the way you get to that is you go to applications, utilities, and there's something called terminal. If you click on this, you will see a window, which is all text. And that is what the terminal is. But the second thing I want to bring up is that if you want to find out the gory details of what anything does, including DRUtil that we just spoke about, once you're in the terminal, you type man, which is a manual page, which is kind of like the instructions, space. And if you type man space drutil, you will get a thorough listing of all of the options here, which includes, and I'm looking right now, it says, oh, command verbs include burn, erase, eject, help, info, list. Uh, pretty much, I think it, it, it's basically the command line version of what you could otherwise, for the most part, do in either iTunes or disutility. As, as far as accessing your CD or DVD burner. Yeah, right, right, right. Cool. Just a little tangent. Now we're done. Thanks. No, it's good stuff. <laughs> it's good stuff. Just want to remind people about, about the roots here. Yeah. Yeah, that's I right. We forget that sometimes, or is it? Is it? No, you know what? Talk, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's move on a little bit here. Right. Are we good? I mean, we've gone calculus yep. and all right, cool. Uh, now, you know what? I got another one of those things. Uh, I got a stocking stuffer for you. This thing's pretty Aww. cool. 
Yeah, no, no, no. It's good. It was it's ten bucks. So that to me falls in, the, and it's the right size, so it fits in the stocking stuffer thing. Uh, we all have our earphones, right? And and if you don't have a specific case for your earphones, you're trying to like wrap them around your iPhone or whatever. And then invariably, you know, for me, I get on an airplane and I go to rip out my earphones and they're like tangled around everything. It only magicians understand how cables at rest can tie themselves into knots because magicians leverage that as part of their shows. But but the rest of us, we don't understand how it works, but they do it. They do it when we're not looking. Yeah, that's that's right. Concluded. That's right. And, and you know, on a tangent here, I would love absolutely love if the inside of my computer bag, especially the part where I store cables was white and not black because with white, I could know, <laughs> dude, this makes a huge difference. You can actually see what's in there. Whereas, I know exactly what you're saying. You know what I'm talking about? Rather the, than, than fumbling about. Yeah. It is the reason that in my current car, which I, which I custom ordered um, that I had the interior tan and not black. My, my previous car was black. And I loved it. It looked cool and all that. But, you know, getting in the car after a gig or whatever and trying to find a water bottle or whatever on the floor, it's a black hole. But anyway, uh, so so I would love to have a computer bag that's 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 tan uh, or white on the inside. And, yeah, I know it would get all scuffed up and and not look as pretty a year later as the black one does because you don't see all the scuffs. But I would take that. I'm okay with that. But anyway. That's not looks versus functionality form versus function that's right. form form yeah. versus function. So, uh, but I did find this thing called uh, from digital innovations called the nest and it's an earbud protector. And, and you'll look at the picture online you'll say, what the heck is this? But look at some of the other pictures because what happens is you wrap your earphone. It's like this rubbery thing and it's like rubbery goodness. You know, it just feels good in your hand and you, uh, you pop your earphones kind of into the middle of this thing. And then you wrap your uh, wrap the cord around sort of the outside. And then it has this rubbery flap that just folds over, but it's, it's, it's soft and it's malleable. So you can throw it in your computer bag and it's going to stay together. Cause this fold kind of works that way. And it uh, it's awesome. And it's 10 bucks. So it's a perfect little stocking stuffer for, for anyone in the house that, that, uh, that, you know, that has earphones that they're constantly fighting with. It's good stuff. So, that, you know, that's that. So, John, what do you what do you got? You got a question from John, don't you? Oh, man. No, you know, I was just lulled by your uh, dulcet <laughs> tones there. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, yeah, you know, I have to say my throat's not perfect, but uh, but this current path is this short, short term, lots of medication, uh, proton pump inhibitor path. Uh, definitely seems to be working for me with the uh, with the throat. So it's good. So what did they? Uh, so what? Uh, have you gone into detail? Do you want to? Or uh, yeah, I think did, I did, did on the, the last show, the doc- or two shows ago. Oh, maybe. Yeah, okay. Maybe I don't know. I forget. Right. Never but, mind. Yeah, I got scoped out. They they stuff a they shoved a scope down my nose to excuse me to look at my throat. And, and the prescri- it, uh, prescription is. Oh, uh, yeah. Get meds or yeah, a regime I'm, to uh, repair it, or I am on meds for six weeks to get it like under control ah, okay, to, okay, just to, okay. because I got it. Yeah. You know, the problem is for whatever reason, the, the acids hit coming up and hit. Oh, you told me. Yeah. Acid throat. reflux. So, so yeah. the, the yeah. acid was, was it's doing bad things to your vocal cords. Yeah, oh, as, as, as it, as it's want to do. Right. That's, that's sort of, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, so it's, it's getting better. You know, it's this slow progress thing, but 
but we're mm-hmm. definitely going mm-hmm. in the right direction. I don't like taking all these meds all the time, uh, but but for short term thing, I'm I'm willing to you know, kind of get over the hump and then figure out what I need to do to 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 deal with it going forward. <laughs> all right. Anyway, go from John. So yeah. not me, but another John. Right. So here we go. This is a head scratcher. This is a good one, Dave, because I don't know if I have the answer, but I, I had an answer possibly. That so, works for me. Hi, Dave, John and Pilot Pete. And I also say hi to Pilot Pete, wherever he may be. <laughs> Any idea why my late 2008 MacBook Pro's hard drive is reporting more available gigabytes than its capacity when I select info from the hard drive? I recently did a clean install of Mountain Lion, repaired permissions, etc. However, when I select this utility, the proper information is displayed. I'm wondering if this is a bad omen of things to come. I have been having an issue with this MacBook Pro as of late where the Wi-Fi becomes unresponsive, won't connect or allow shutting off, and it only recovers if I reboot or boot to recovery and then follow with a normal boot. Applicare replaced the airport Wi-Fi card a few weeks ago, and then things worked. But the symptom has returned a few times lately. Yeah, boy. So my response, and this is certainly open for discussion because I... (laughs) So the one thing that gets me is whenever you see two different programs give you different numbers or two, two programs that should be reporting the same thing that are not. Oh boy. So basically I said to him, thanks so much for the screenshot, which really helped us uh, for both Dave and I quantify and, and observe and, yeah, let and me, see what, let me explain what these screenshots show. Right. I mean, this is, it's not just like a little bit of discrepancy, his hard drive in the finder. It says it's got right. a, it's got 250 gigs, 249.2 gigs of capacity. The and finder. that sounds like a standard Apple offering. Okay. Right. So I'll go with that. It's a 250 gig drive. Sure. The finder says that 331.68 gigs are available. That's bad. That, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. That's magic <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> Where'd you get all that extra space? Yeah. Dude? So yeah, it's disc doubler. Don't you remember that disc doubler from like the OS, uh, whatever, seven days. Yeah. Uh, Disk utility, though, shows that only 47.7 gigs are available. So there's a it's not like we're doing math slightly differently. And so it's showing it a little bit different. It's like totally foobar in the finder. Right, because there is an issue which I think has pretty much been settled where the, the way computer people measure a gig and the way the rest of the world measures a gig is different. Gigabits and Gibby bits, I believe, are the, uh, is the right. discussion and that, we have there. Basically, the problem is that computer people measure things in power of two. And when you were talking 1024 versus 1,000, okay, that wasn't a big deal. But once you start getting past kilobytes and start talking megabytes and gigabytes and terabytes, then the difference in the way people measure things is substantial. And I think they were actually and now Apple and everybody explains this saying, okay, a gig isn't really a gig. Well, a gig is is the gig we like. But not the the real gig right. computer people use. But anyway, that's not this discussion. That this is there's a problem. Certainly not. Right. No, no. Here it's a problem. And so the, the 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 here were my thoughts on this. So I basically checked my machine because he's running Mountain Lion. I think he indicated, and I checked my machine and I didn't see it. So it's not a systemic problem in Mountain Lion. One thought that I had is that it could be a subtle bug in the Finder. Seems now, like more I, than I, subtle. I, well, well uh, but no, but it's a bug in the finder. So so one thing is that it could be a bug in the finder where even though the finder and disutility are looking at the same data, 
Yeah, I'm going right. to offer it as an op. Yeah, I'm going to no, offer it right. as an option because, especially as of late, in my new role doing software to talk to uh, environmental measurement devices, I have seen this happen, where if somebody doesn't exactly define, uh, doesn't specifically define the format of a piece of data, and you get into the sign bit and this and that is sixteen, thirty-two, forty-eight, however many bits. You'll get a piece of software that'll see the same piece of data, but will display it differently because it was told it wasn't necessarily told how to display it or or they're, they're just a, some sort of problem. So what I'm saying is that there's a potential for two different pieces of software to look at the same piece of data from a device like how many bytes do I have free and display it maybe wrong. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if that's happening in this case, but I would like it, to it, insert an adjective before wrong, you know, like very, very, that was two, but really, you know, right. Yeah. Egregiously. So the thing is, the finder, so, so the thing is number one, the finder may just have a, a bug in it where it's not displaying this right. And disutility is correct. Maybe. And that nothing is wrong, but I think something is wrong. Yeah. I agree with you. So what I would say is that, Maybe try a third tool. Okay. I don't know if it'll fix the problem, but it'll help give you give you the piece of data here. So the other tool I would suggest for this, Dave, is this. Uh, I'm sorry, system information. Oh. And if you go to the hardware serial ATA category, it will show you a little bit more detail than you may be used to seeing, and that you will see not only. The, the values that you should be seeing from Finder and Disutility, but you may see some things about some of the other partitions on the drive. And maybe looking at that, maybe you can make sense of what you're seeing. Yeah. The other thing is that you have damage that is getting worse, and this is the first sign. Yeah. But, yeah. In my humble opinion, I would say what you're seeing... <sighs> Uh, my gut here tells me, although, you know, I suggested other things, my gut tells me that you do have a little piece of damage and finder happens to be picking it up first and not this utility. So, yeah. So I, my feeling on this is how do you solve, uh, how do you solve a problem? Cause I would say that this is a problem where you have directory corruption, not necessarily data, yeah. but the, 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 the part of the drive that keeps track of everything is getting confused or it's corrupted or something's wrong. And disutility, I think it was mentioned, disutility was tried. It's not always. Uh, no, that's right. Well, he says, I tried disutility and it says the proper information is displayed. So I guess but the first he thing hasn't, is but he hasn't, lo- but he hasn't run repairs in disk utility. And I think that's the first right. thing to do, right? Because, because there are Step times, one, yes. yeah, there are times in the repair process where you'll see fixing free block count and it's not fixing mm-hmm. Maybe it's just repairing or something, but, but there is, there is a part of disk utilities repair disks process that, that goes through this. Now you can't run that on your boot drive though. Uh, you've got a boot from even the recovery partition in mountain lion is enough to, to let you do that. Cause it's a different partition. So, so that definitely the first thing I would do. Yeah. No question. And hopefully that'll fix it. Um, you know, you, you talked about other tools to check this terminal gives you access to lots and lots of oh. great tools. And my, my favorite Good. one for looking at disk space is uh, DF uh, Delta Foxtrot. So Delta Foxtrot space dash dash H hotel, right? So it's a four character with a space in the middle of, of, of them all. And it will show you all your things and it will show you how it's, what it's named and the size and how much is used and, and all that good stuff. So that's, that's another way to check 
to see if, uh, you know, what, where, where that reports, if that shows you that you've got more free than you actually have total on the drive, that, that indicates that, the, yeah, there's, there's a, right. it's not a bug in the finder. Yeah. Now a, a specific tool that I've used and I've actually had problems like this in the past, Dave. So one that I will recommend here, it's our pals at ProSoft and they make something called drive genius. And one of the features that I like about drive genius today is it that it has not only functions that mirror disutility, like, you know, check this directory, but it also has a feature with a, which I think is pretty unique to uh, maybe not. It's certainly unique in, in commercial products. I think I, I haven't seen any free products, but it does have, and I've used this, a thing called rebuild directory that I think what it does, it basically scrubs the directory. It says, you know what? This directory is a mess. I'm just going to erase it. And then I'm going to go through the other data structures on the drive. And I'm going to rebuild your directory for you from scratch. And I've actually had that work for me in the past where it was damage that was not detected by disutility. But once I ran this part of drive genius, it said, you know what? This is trash, dude. I'm, I'm going to rebuild it. And then everything was great. And, and part of the problem was there was absolutely when I ran this, a discrepancy in the amount of, files in this case uh, that that the hard drive thought was on it and what was really on it. Yeah. So, and then we see in the chat room here, we have people mentioning also uh, drive genius is, is my current favorite. And I think you like it too, Dave. Uh, it was also mentioned here that disc warrior is another worthy uh, candidate for doing more thorough uh, directory uh, repair. Actually draw and drive genius does this too, but, but disc warrior, its main feature and, and uh, arguably its only feature is to do directory rebuilding. So I don't believe it does repairs um, as okay. much as it does a rebuild. So like Drive Genius. Yeah. So it basically trashes what's there and, and rebuilds it from the other data and yeah. hopefully you get a good result. Okay. But, but Drive Genius will do a repair as well as a rebuild. So you can choose either right. or obviously both, but it's a little bit overkill. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, while we're on this subject, John, you had another one. You had you had a note from Mike uh, about uh, a damaged disc. He has a, I'll summarize his question and then I'll let you kind of take it. But he has a a disc that has um, it, uh, data on it, but it won't mount. Uh, but he knows that there's data out there and he just can't get to it. So uh, the question is. How do I get these data files off of this disk? And in his case, a disk is actually an SD card. But uh, but I'm curious how you uh, how you would go ahead and solve this, John. Well, I offered a couple of things. Now, actually, I didn't know it was an SD card, but I I thought it was a disk image. Uh, I think I think maybe it's a disk image um, on an SD card. on an SD is card. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, well, he makes go he makes images of his F. Yeah, go ahead and tell and, and walk through it. All right. Well, I'll start with the question. Do you have any suggestions for how to view data in a disk image that will not mount? Right. And here's the background. I have remote data collection sites that take all data hike into. Oh, cool. Oh, we got to talk about this more. <laughs> I normally take my computer to the site, pull the SD cards, plug them into the built-in SD reader, and pull the data. I recently installed Mountain Lion, and now this process no longer works sucks when sticking the card in it did not mount but it did show up in disutility with daylight gone the only thing i could think of was to use disutilities restore function to create a disk image however the image does not open uh, getting the error no mountable file system within disutility i see the information in the partition map scheme no partition map 
Hmm. Yeah, this does sound related, Dave. Um, yeah. I would think that my cause is hopeless except for one very promising sign. When I run disc first aid, when I run first aid in disutility, it says there are 673 files, which uh, met his expectations. So all I want to do is find some way to grab these data files. Any thoughts? Mike, your neighbor up in uh, Lyme, which is uh, in Connecticut. We got to thank for Lyme disease. Thanks, Lyme. That's actually the island off the coast of Lyme, Connecticut, yeah, where yeah, Lyme yeah, disease yeah, was yeah. invented. But, you know, that's thanks. But Lyme well, was you know Lyme. about that with the uh, yeah, well, with your whole fiasco there. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so I offered a couple of things and then I'll, I'll give it to you, Dave. I'm sure you have some more. But uh, Mike, one program that will let you view the contents of any file without having to mount it is hex edit. And I think that's what he's looking for. And this is something that I've been using for a while, Dave, and it's a. Uh, I don't know if I call it a sector editor, but it's definitely a low-level file editor in, in that its purpose in life is you run this program, you point it to a file, whether it be a disk image, and I actually verified it. will read It'll read any file that you point it to, and then it will give you a display that is pretty geeky. It's pretty much the raw, uh, as the name of the utility implies, hex data in the file it also i think can display an ascii and other things so a tool like this in general is probably a good thing to have in your tool belt or tool case or tool purse or whatever you whatever you wear your tools on uh to view data within a file that the mac os really as far as i know other than you know primitive things like cat and all that really don't give you an ability to look at the raw data inside a file hex edit does that and it looks uh the Based on what I've, I know it's been around for a long time, Dave. So the, this is one thing I would try. Uh, again, our pals at uh, the, the Drive Genius, I believe Drive Genius has a sector editor as well, and I think some of the other disutilities do also, which basically let you skip e- either looking at a file and looking at the raw contents, or kind of skipping the whole file thing and just looking at the raw data on the hard drive. The last tool I'll mention again. Another plug for our buddies at ProSoft is that Data Rescue is a good utility because Data Rescue is a utility that will look at a piece of media and kind of piece together what it thinks the data or data files on it should be. Um, And it's especially useful if you've done boneheaded things like deleting stuff when you shouldn't have or that these bad things just happen to people because bad things happen to good people. So... (laughs) But I like Data Rescue, and they have a free demo, so you can actually test it. And I think what happens on the free demo, I believe you can only recover a limited number of files that it does find and identify as files that that uh, it found that you normally would not find. Right. So that's cool. my story, Dave. But you got to have some. Do you have more for me, Dave? Um. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure that I do. Um. I, I would go, I would go with data rescue that, you know, you can do a, a Google search and find utilities that will allow you to recover stuff directly from an SD card, like p- utilities that are built for it. In fact, there's one that I found at data which is not related to ProSoft, which is interesting. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Get the lawyers out. Well, you know, I think, I think they might've been around first before ProSoft had data. Oh, rescue. Oops. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, but, it, but that's more geared toward pulling photos off of SD cards. Um, so them and I don't know exactly what type of data that uh, that Mike is trying to pull, but but that would be that would be one way to do it. So that that's that's what I got. 
groovy. Um, the other thing I had, actually, I, I just shipped it off to, to Jim Tannis uh, here at TMO for a more in-depth review. But the other thing that I had for the last week or two was a Drobo 5D. Uh, the uh, the 5D is their new um, Thunderbolt accessible, also USB 3 accessible uh, five bay unit. So if you're com- if you're uh, familiar with the Drobos, uh, and I know you are, John, but for for the sake of our listeners, you, you'll this will be a, a familiar looking thing. Uh, it looks a lot like the uh, old Drobos or the, even the Drobo FS. Uh, because it's just got five uh, bays for for SATA disks in there. The way Drobos work in general, and this one is no different, is that you just put disks in and then it expands its capacity based on what the disks are. And you don't have to really worry about it. And if you need to replace one of the disks, you actually you just pull the disk out and you can replace it with a larger version. And the Drobo will magically uh, increase your capacity. The 5D is it was an interesting thing to test because it adds one thing to what we, what we've been used to on a Drobo John. And that is there's a SATA. It's not a drive. It's an M SATA card that you put. uh, You actually put it in the bottom of this thing. They sent me one and it, it had a a 64 gig M SATA card to put in. And it's just, you know, like installing a Ram chip. In fact, it is installing a Ram chip of sorts in the bottom of the thing. And then it does some kind of like uh, fusion drive type stuff inside there to put data on the on the SD portion that you know you might want more frequently and it makes it faster. And of course, when you've got multiple drives in something, even if the drives aren't super fast themselves, if the data is spread across all these drives, well then you can actually get uh some decent throughput out of it. And over Thunderbolt, I was getting like writes were somewhere in the neighborhood of about 180 megabytes a second. And this is with like really normal standard SATA drives, nothing special. And, uh, and reads, I was getting over 200 megabytes a second um, with kind of sustained reads. And this is from the finder. Yeah. Yeah. Like normal, you know, reading movie files or, or uh, you know, music files, big stuff back and forth. It was, it was cooking. It was really impressive. Yeah. I had some, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they where they take this technology. Um, and I am looking forward to the future of it. But uh, but this is a this is a great thing for them because they've you know, their their mm-hmm. direct connect stuff. I've, we've always had good luck with their network stuff. Frankly, we have not had great luck with um, but their direct connect stuff has always worked and it's always been snappy to sort of navigate around. But as far as the speeds of getting data on and off of it, mm, not so much. You know, it, it really wasn't built to be this super speed demon. But this one is a different yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, it was I cool think- to test out. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, cool. Now I saw their their kind of mini version, which right. is one that I think is mainly geared towards housing SSDs. Right. The dro- At first, the, it was just adorable. Mini. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just adorable. <laughs> and with SSDs in there, I mean, this thing's smoking. And I think they have the same interface options, or if not, they will offer them soon. As far as USB and Thunderbolt, I think. And it's funny to see at the shows I've been to lately that it seems everybody all of a sudden is falling in line. Once USB 3 got a thumbs up, yeah. then a lot of people said, or it could be whoever offered the chipset. It's like, yeah, let's offer Thunderbolt and USB 3. Right. That Those are good choices. And the, the Drobo actually ships with, with both a USB 3 and a Thunderbolt cable, which is kind of, mm. I mean, it's just, you know, it's nice. a nice perk because Thunderbolt cables aren't cheap. Of course, the Drobo is not cheap either. I think the the five D is eight forty nine, and the the Drobo Mini that does the SSDs is six forty nine. That's like empty, no M SATA card, no 
uh, no drives, yeah. but yeah, but that's what you're going to pay for this type of stuff. I mean, it's in the neighborhood of what you're going to pay for this type yeah. of stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. And in the room here, uh, we got a question from Lori saying mega bytes. And the answer is yes. Well, e- even traditional yeah. drives, I think can do this, but uh, yeah, now that we're in a whole new world with the uh, USB three and Thunderbolt and, and uh, well, and it's, it's, Fire- the, it's raid, right? Is, I mean, it, and I know Drobo is not doing traditional raid in that sense, but, but it's, you know, but, using the speed of all the drives together. And then at the same time, this high speed M SATA thing, uh, which is an SSD drive that's sort of sitting in there, you know, you put all that together the right way, which uh, obviously they have. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it, it was snappy. Yeah. I was really impressed with it. Yeah. Yeah, So it used to be that the, it used to be that the bus was the limiting factor or the drive speed. And right now I think the limiting factor for the most part now is the speed of the drive itself. Yeah, but that was the case. Drives. Yeah. Yeah, that was even the case with FireWire 800 for a, yeah. for a lot yeah. of drives. Not for yeah. everything, but but for a lot of drives. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, this RAID yeah. stuff is good. It's good. All right. Um, Look at the clock. Is the clock, the clock still ticking for some reason? It's uh, always ticking. I, yeah. I don't know how, I this, know. how this All works right. exactly. Let me look. Oh, we already took I care of Mike. This. Um, we, we took care of, we talked about that. We've got good stuff here, John. We're all over on here. Um, we got your rant here. I don't know about that. Yeah. So let's, um, we got a couple of tips. So we'll start with, with one from, uh, from listener cat food, um, <laughs> sort of a, a response to what we were talking about last week when we had that mail issue where mail, the, the, the user had different versions of mail on their drive and, uh, and Catfood writes, I too have had trouble with the latest regular security update for Mac OS 10, 10, 6, 8. He's uh, still on Snow Leopard. I had organized my applications folders so that Safari and Mail were in a subfolder uh, called Internet. When I installed the update, the original Mail app in the Internet folder and the newer updated Mail app was put in the applications folder. Neither would work, popping up a dialogue stating that it was not the correct version for my computer. After some searching on the Internet, uh, I ended up deleting both mail applications and then running the combo update again, which fixed the problem. And, and the, the lesson there that I want to share with everybody is as nice as it would be to uh, subcategorize your applications folder into different uh, stuff. It's really, the system just isn't built to work that way anymore. Uh, You have to leave, especially Apple apps have to be at the, at the top of the applications folder Otherwise, the updaters aren't going to see them and it's going to cause all kinds of weird problems. So so that's uh, that's the tip to be gleaned from that is, yeah, it, it used to be nice. And in OS nine, of course, we did it all the time. We made, you know, I, my applications folder had, you know, probably six or eight subfolders in it for different stuff. And, and it was nice. But no, that's not unless the app installs itself into its own subfolder. You don't want any subfolders there other than the utilities folder. And don't move stuff around in there either. You know, especially again, especially Apple apps. <laughs> so that's that. Uh, I did have a little bit of a rant, John. Um, God. Well, it's not not really a rant, but but again, more of a heads up. And mm-hmm. it was that I, I wanted to have a, a brief discussion about Java B- people. And I understand why, you know, uh, seem What's to have Java, Dave, please tell me for those well, that me, don't know. OK, yeah. J- Java is a uh, it's a computer language. But it is uh, kind of in, a, in simple terms, it's a language that 
allows you to easily write stuff for multiple platforms without changing anything at all. You write one app and then it, it in a lot of cases can just be run inside a uh, Java engine on, you know, on any computer. You could run it on a Mac. You could run it on Windows. You could run it on Linux and the same Apple runs. So cross platform uh, very, very easily. But Apple um, recently has decided to not install Java by default with the OS and, and there's actually a very good reason for that. It, it means that Apple no longer has to be on point to push out an update to Java every time a security update is issued. Um, now you get Java directly from Oracle or wherever. And, uh, and then, they, you know, when they push a security update, you get it. But because of that, a lot of people have, and, and I've seen this in emails that I've gotten from, from a lot of you, there, there seems to be this, this hesitation to install Java because it's a potential security risk. And, in, in a sense, it is a potential security risk, but uh, but if you need it for whatever program you're going to run, it's not like some horrible thing that's just going to run amok all over your computer. It, it What it means is you can run Java apps. And so if you download some nefariously written Java app, then, yes, you will have problems. But, for example, if you need to run Crash Plan, which I know John and I both run then just download Java and run it, it's OK. It's not you know, it's not a bad thing. Oh. But, you know, the problem to me, Dave, is that Apple brought this on themselves. Right. The problem with Java on the Mac as of late is that Apple sucks at issuing Java updates. Right. So for whatever reason, Apple insisted, oh, no, 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 Oracle, Sun, you know, whoever it is now, it's Oracle now. So it's under Oracle. They own Java. Apple was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to, even though you guys are, generating the or maybe they weren't and i don't know how this relationship started but at one point apple decided you know what we're good enough where we can update these uh we can issue these updates under our own banner and they certainly let people do that right in the java ecosphere the problem is apple totally dropped the ball in the last security update and there was this whole big uh, I, i wouldn't call virus but malware thing where basically apple didn't acknowledge or issue an update for a known java bug for many many months so to me, Apple screwed up. And I think it's good that Apple is no longer taking responsibility and that you pointed out, Dave. And I tried this too, to look into another Java question. But the thing is now, if you don't have Java on your machine and it wants it, it'll say, oh yeah, go to Oracle and that they'll let you download it. Yeah. And, and you should download their version instead. And I think that's a good decision. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's really good. Decision. Apple, Apple, for whatever reason, was not equipped to handle this update in a timely fashion. So right. they just said, yeah, we're, we're, we're not going to do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But it's not evil. Java is a yeah. platform and it's certainly viable. And, 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 and if you need it and you're going to know because the OS will come up and say, yeah, Java's not here. I verified this because I hadn't tried lately, Dave. You know, it's funny because even though Crash Plan is still running on my MacBook uh, Pro with Mountain Lion, yeah, um, I actually went to a web page that required the Java plugin, and that actually came up and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! No, it's not here. You want to download it from Oracle?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, right, cool." And I think it'll lead to a question that, that I'm still researching, which is the conflict between now the Oracle implementation and the Apple implementation, because I think there may be cases where both of them will be asking you on your Mac, hey, you want me to update? And it's like, oh, oh boy, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I've heard scattered reports of a conflict. Uh, in my case, again, 
I tried to run something and it pointed at the OS itself pointed me to the Oracle site. So there may be people get caught in the handoff phase. Yeah. That where would, it's yeah. still going to be trying to install the Apple version versus the, the uh, approved Oracle version. And there could be confusion. So heads up to people. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think it's time to bring the band in, my friend. The band. Tis the time. Of course, we would have so much more to go through, but it's just, you know, it's how we have to prioritize. And uh, and here we are. We could do a 10x accelerated version of the show. That's right. Well, if you want to listen to the show at uh, at faster speed, you could download the Mac Geek Gab iOS app because we oh. you can listen at 1.2 or 1.5. We found 2.0 was just a little... Uh, I'm a, I talk too fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, but and, and uh, for those of you that already have the app, uh, an update is coming. It was submitted to the App Store, I'm going to say Thursday, uh, and today's Sunday. Uh, and who knows when they'll get to it, as because that's kind of how they work. But uh, but it fixes a couple of bugs. It fixes the 3G streaming bug, which we know was, was hitting quite a few of you. But uh, it also allows you to listen to the live, cha- the live chat. Uh, the, sorry, the live uh, stream and participate in the chat. It is uh, enhanced for full glory on the iPhone 5, so that's good. And uh, so, and I think there's one other thing that off the top of my head I just can't remember, but uh, it's good stuff. So that update's coming this week, and for, if you don't have the app, well, maybe it's time to go get it. You want to tell them how to contact us if they don't have the app, John? If you don't have the app and you have email, which I'm going to assume that you all do, but if, well, if you don't, then <laughs> I don't know what to say, but you could send an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com if you'd like to give us a question, comment, a tip, pretty much anything. That's well, right. not anything, but, uh, but, but most things. Feedback you at, at MacGeekGab.com is what you said. Okay. Now, I'm going to make sure that you heard me, Dave, that I indeed said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's not the only address. There's also, Dave, surprisingly enough, premium at MacGeekGab.com. Premium at MacGeekGab.com. For those of you that are uh, direct supporters of the show via MacGeekGab Premium, premium at MacGeekGab.com. You can uh, you can learn more about premium at MacGeekGab.com slash premium, and that's where you can sign up and... Uh, and we're putting together what will be the first charter member premium gift uh, that will most likely be shipping out in about a month or so, probably a month and month and a week because I'm going to be away for that in, in a month. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so uh, so that's all coming together. You can go and uh, and check all that out, John. If they wanted mm-hmm. to call us, they would dial two zero six 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 Geek, which is. 4335 but that's not all you can also there's this thing called facebook that i just heard about dave and if you go to facebook.com slash macgeekgab there's a page there where you can uh, uh learn about when when the show is happening uh submit questions if you like and uh just get a warm fuzzy feeling about being part of the uh MacGab Facebook community. That's but, right. But that's not all, Dave. There's more, right? But wait, there's less. Uh on on the Facebook thing, if you sign up there, you can then see when we are uh, going to be recording the live stream and uh and that way you see the schedule. It's typically I think we're we're shooting for this 5 p.m. ish uh, Eastern yeah. on Sunday thing, right? 
because that way John's not mm-hmm. uh, asleep at showtime, and, and neither am I, and that's a good thing. So, uh, and that seems to have worked out well today, which is when we did it. So, uh, so I think we're going to stay here. We we will occasionally do a, a Sunday morning one for uh, both scheduling and, and just preference reasons. It is kind of nice to do a morning show every now and then. So, uh, but I think yeah. I think next week we're on for for the five o'clock time slot. But if you join MacGeekab.com slash uh, sorry Facebook.com slash MacGeekab. You can see when those pop up. You can also find uh, the announcements for the live show and everything else that we do on Twitter. The show is at Mac Geekab. John is at John F. Braun. I'm at Dave Hamilton. Uh, and then you can find Pilot Pete at Pilot Pete and Mac Observer at Mac Observer. That's good. It's all good. It's all happening at the zoo, John. What else you got? One more thing for me, maybe? Michael? Michael? How about Michael? Well, we have any more contact information, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, of course, we're going to thank Michael Johnston um, because he's the one that converts the show to AAC. Is there more contact? I mean, we have the phone number, the email, the Facebooks, the internets. I think that's uh, it. Or the, uh, the Twitters. Um, I think it's good. Skype. come up with something new. Yeah. You can Skype us at MacGeekGab. Just sends uh, into the, the phone number. So that's good. Yeah. All right. Uh, John, I think, it, uh, I think it's time to uh, let the band play us out. Right? Yeah, good. I hope so. Sort of a I'll messy transition let's, on that. Let's I got to yeah. get that transition better. Uh, anyway, we did. We wanted to thank Michael, which we did. We wanted to thank Cashfly.com for uh, the bandwidth and getting the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace, of course, includes Gazelle, as we mentioned. PDF Pen for Mac, iPhone, and iPad. BB Edit from Barebones Software. All that good stuff. John, if you had one bit of lasting advice that you wanted to share with everyone until we're back next week, what what would that be? One bit. For goodness sake, don't get caught. Made up.